Hello, you're listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast with me, Susan Romsdorf-Terry, and... Luke Romsdorf-Terry, where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery series and discuss it. On today's episode, we're talking about the 26th book in the series, The Cat Who Talked Turkey. 26 of these. 26 of these. Jeez. It's amazing to think that there we've gotten that far. It, it is, and that there are only three more left after this. And this is also including that parody book, No, right? that's four if we include the parody. Uh, still. Three that's, official. That's still, that's that's one hand minus a thumb. <laughs> yes, technically it is. That's, that's a way I measure things <laughs> from now on. <laughs> anyway, this book was published when? 2004. 2004. And, and there is something very interesting about this book. I see that. Um... As opposed to the 25 books that came beforehand, the acknowledgments to this book, which is usually just dedicated to Earl Bettinger, the husband who, this features a full dedication not only to her husband, of course, but to her research research assistant, her editor, her agent, and of course, the real life Cocos and Yum Yums in her life. Um, because unlike Quill, her cats have not survived for 20 or 40 plus years. I can't, um, I, I can't, and it's the fact that it's the same cat. Although it could be there's the theory that there's a theory that James Bond is just a name and the people who play it, that's why James Bond has lived for so long. So maybe Coco's been just a different cat all this time. Eh, less so with this particular one. <laughs> now for Lillian Jackson Braun, she's freely said that she's had many, many cats over the years. Um, and two have always been named Coco and Yum Yum. And so I can imagine that, yeah, with that then, it just keeps it consistent. Yes, but you know, in the case of Quill, when you realize that since the cat who played Brahms, we're really only looking, we're really looking at about 10 years mm. in, in book time. That's true. So it's, and, and Coco was, and, and assuming that things came within the line and Coco was fairly young, um, you know, he's, he's an older cat these days, but he's certainly reasonably within, you know, a 10, 11, 12 year span. True. So I guess it's not too far out of the realm. Yes. But just the fact that I think that they, it's just, as you say, 27 books. Yes. 26. <laughs> 26. This is our 27th episode. Episode, yes. Well, not including the minis. But anyway, so let's yes. jump right into this All one. All right. And we jump right into the groundbreaking of the new bookstore in Yay! Pickaxe. Yay! <laughs> and they're building this, of course, on the site of Eddington Smith's old shop, which was originally a blacksmith shop. And it is common knowledge that Ed's grandfather was a lake pirate who supposedly buried a chest of gold coins behind his blacksmith shop, as was fairly common in those days of, you know, banks weren't trusted, so you buried money in the backyard. <laughs> it was the style at the time. It was, it was. Um, so eventually the backyard was paved over for parking. And <laughs> somebody, we don't say who, somebody comes up with a brilliant idea that to lay the, to, the rumors to rest, the groundbreaking for the bookstore is very public, um, <laughs> as is the discovery of an iron-strapped chest, which is found to be empty, oh. which disappoints the reporters from down below and gives the locals a really good laugh. A very Geraldo Rivera moment, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's it's opening that, that Capone's safe there kind of thing. There was nothing in Al Capone's vault, but it wasn't Geraldo's fault. <laughs> Something like that. Um, <laughs> So at the same time, less public is the news that a well-dressed, unidentified man is found shot execution style on Quills Beach. Jeez. Uh, like I said, at the same time that the community was distracted by the groundbreaking. When Quill returns from the groundbreaking, he's he's greeted by Coco's death howl, but no clue who it's for. That's very early on for a death howl, it isn't really it? It really is. Wow. Um, 
So not having much time to think about this, Quill immediately has to go collect Polly at the airport uh, because she's been down in Chicago visiting uh, the Klingon Fund headquarters. And she mentions that Benson will be visiting soon. Benson is an interesting, <laughs> quote unquote, He's a architect. butler from a well-to-do family. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> He's a, quote unquote, interesting architect who's responsible for the design of the new bookstore. Quill then mentally lists the other, quote unquote, interesting men that she's met throughout the series and has a giant, huffy, jealous fit. Oh, God. Um, they then discuss the naming of the bookstore and that the empty chest should go on display in the store when it's finished. And Polly goes home to her cats and a very plain dinner. She literally says she's having cottage cheese and fruit, and that's it. It's like, well, okay. Sure. You do you. Um, you do you. At least it's not flat chicken. <laughs> yes, it's not flattened chicken breast. No, she. why would she bother to cook? She's been out all weekend. Um, <laughs> that's true. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so the next day, Thornton Haggis drops by the barn with news. So Ooh. the town of Burr, in the interest of not confusing their 200th anniversary with pickaxes, 150th, 50th, I can't, don't know why I can't say 150th anniversary the following year has decided that in order to be a little bit different, they're going to have a birthday party, not an anniversary celebration. Mm. There will be parties, a restaging of the brawl reenactment that they did. And Thornton asked Quill if he'd bring his big burning show out of the mothballs for the event. Oh, wow. Quill, however, thinks that the story of a terrible storm from 1913 might be more appropriate. But of course, he hasn't written or researched it yet. But you know, Thorne is the uh, is the heir apparent to County Historian. <laughs> so with his help, it could totally work. Uh, Thorne leaves him. Then we get a call from Bart, the, the attorney, about the publication of Quill's books, officially titled Short and Tall Tales, which he has been working on officially since The Cat Who Tailed a Thief. He's been collecting stories since he moved to Pickaxe. So this is a, a good culmination of what he's been collecting. Finally got that novel. Finally got the book. Not a novel. It's a collection of short stories. That's totally oh, I, different. My mistake. <laughs> um, and then finally, he gets a call from Andrew Brody, who, of course, needs to speak with him about something urgent and confidential. Firstly, when he arrives, Brody says he wasn't surprised that the chest turned out to be empty because he thinks that uh, Eddington Smith converted the coins to bonds and sold them or sold them to collectors and lived on the proceeds for the rest of his life. Ah. Since, of course, Ed didn't appear to make much money selling used books. Um, he is the first then to suggest that they name the book, the bookstore, the pirate's chest. Um, <laughs> and then secondly, it turns out that the unidentified body that we mentioned, I, I said it was found on Quill's beach, but this is where we, as the reader first learned that that unidentified body was found on Quill's land. Um, the state investigation team has been called, but there are no results yet. Um, with that, Brody finishes his cheese and his scotch and he heads home. And at least we get confirmation that the Sip and Nibble shop is still in business, possibly too entirely to Quill at this sip point. Sip and cheese. Sip and Nibble. Sip, sip and Nibble. And, I remember. The, I, I remember. We, we don't remember if it's Jack or John Sip, but uh, whichever. Um, <laughs> Pickaxe is only identified gay couple. We love them. Um, <laughs> so the next day, Quill heads to Burr to chat with Gary Pratt. Uh, it's an unintentional rhyme there. Uh, at the hotel booze about <laughs> Burr's birthday party and the new show uh, about the storm of 1913. Quill mentions that it would be great to get Nancy Fisher back to run the sound cues, but apparently she's moved to Minnesota with her new husband. Ah. Um, Gary suggests a man, but Quill insists that it should be a woman for visual balance. Yeah, right. That Quill. makes no sense whatsoever. None at no. Quill then suggests 
Lish Carroll, which is short for Alicia, who is back in town visiting her grandmother. She was smart when they were in school, and he assumes that she still is. There's a lot of <laughs> gossip when Lish was, Lish was younger because her father was arrested for land fraud and harassing female employees, and her mother was so embarrassed that she overdosed, and Lish went to live with her grandmother. Will thinks it sounds like a soap opera, and he's not far wrong because it gets even more complicated because Lish is now Lish now has a man that she claims is her quote unquote driver, um, which she needs because of her special heart condition. Palpitations. Hmm. Yes, he's apparently a bit of a drinker too. So Gary calls them Lish and Lush, oh, which God. is how I shall refer to them for the rest of this. Lish book. and Lush. Lish and Lush. <laughs> Um, you have been warned. We probably uh, should have said spoiler alert, too. At this point, if you haven't figured it out, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Gotta keep it consistent. True. I mean, um, if- Lish apparently normally lives in Milwaukee, and Quill apparently needs some information for this, so he agrees to hire her for sound and to uh, hopefully get that information that he's looking for. All right. Then Quill has lunch with Joe Bunker, whether it be good, um, over turkey sandwiches at Lois's luncheonette, and they chat about the groundbreaking. Joe also suggests naming the bookstore The Pirate's Chest and confirms what Gary told Quill about the land scandal in Lockmaster. Let's remember that Joe grew up in Horseradish, which is another city in Lockmaster County. Um, there's a dinner with Polly later that evening where they mostly discuss the bookstore. She's determined that they won't serve food. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, if I met, was it the last episode? But she was very adamant about a cafe, like a, a, the idea of a, of a, yeah, cafe, of a, a hated, coffee shop. Hated a the idea of a coffee, coffee store. Hated the idea of selling gifts of any kind. Anyway. She would have hated Barnes & Noble. Well, that's what she's probably resisting, I, I I'm guess. sure that's probably um, what we're I'm referring sure that's to. what Lillian Jackson Brown was resisting. <laughs> and, um, well, that's the that's the only major bookstore chain that's still out there now. Yep. Um, so the next day, Quill heads to Lockmaster for his very first reading and book signing of Short and Tall Tales. Mm. Um, as we are reminded, he has authored the best-selling City of Brotherly Crime when he was younger, and he, possess a, he possesses a prized copy of that book, thanks to the late Eddington Smith. Um, he once again tells the story of Hilda the Clipper for at least the third time in the series. Um, <laughs> lady liked to wander. Lady liked just for a reminder for everybody. Lady liked to wander around with hedge clippers and scare the shit out of everybody um, <laughs> until somebody finally got her locked away in the mental institution. Um, and that's the story that they choose to tell over and over again. Anyway, enjoys the accolades from his experience. It's lovely um, and. He also apparently decides for himself that clearly the bookstore should be named The Pirate's Chest. We got it. <laughs> anyway, back in Pickaxe, Quill then begins to prepare for the Great Storm of 1913, as he plans to call the new show. Um, he gets the idea, of course, to break up the idea, to break up the story with period ads for various goods based on what he can find that's a- that was actually for sale in the Lockmaster Ledger, which was the, uh, the, the published paper in 1913. Um, gets copies of the ledger at lunch with Kit McDermott, and he mentions he's also thinking about writing a book w- about his adventures with the Siamese to be called The Private Lives of the Cat Who... Dot, dot, dot. This is becoming very meta in it some ways. It really is, because this is a real book, and you can buy it. Um, oh, it's more stories about from Quill's journal, thoughts about, you know, Coco's extraordinary abilities, Yum Yum's sweetness, and her um, larcenous tendencies. Um <laughs> So I think this was a little on the nose this late in the series, but in the early 2000s, this was peak popularity. And with the publication of Short and Tall Tales, another side book apparently seemed expected. So um, (laughs) the lunch ends with the offer of a marmalade cat for the new bookstore, which Kip also expects to be named the Pirate's Chest. Oh, my God, people. Come on. Um, So at this point, are they all just coming up with the title themselves thinking they're being so clever? Yes, they're all thinking they're being so clever. 
this is not a not a good running gag here, LBJ. I'm sorry. Nope. Um, LJB, LJB. sorry. Uh, LBJ. It's not a good running gag for you either, Lyndon Baines. Anyway, Anyway, so the the marmalade cat is actually a gift from Kip's wife, Moira, who's now breeding them now that the kids are off in college. Um, Now, as he's leaving, Quill realizes he forgot to ask Kip about Lish and the land scandal. I'm not sure why he needs a third confirmation that it happened, but oh well. I mean, it makes sense that you would ask for it from the uh, head of the local paper. Well, sure. And being a newspaper reporter, I guess, checking your sources. Absolutely. You know. Uh, So he heads back to Pickaxe and the offer of a kitten is a huge hit. Polly is thrilled, decides they're going to name him Dundee um, (laughs) uh, and is terribly excited to have him welcoming customers at her bookstore. Uh, Quill just hopes that he won't balloon to 30 plus pounds and get more publicity for his weight than for the store. Uh, Apparently, as I looked this up. (laughs) Marmalade cats are prone to put on weight extremely easily, more so than other uh, breeds of cats. Who knew? Is there a reason for that? Not a clue. Other than the fact that they have pretty green eyes that will beseechingly look at you and say, I didn't have a treat two minutes ago. You need me to give me more. Well. I can justify that. We think we can easily justify that. (laughs) So this is basically uh, the Puss in Boots cat. Yes. Actually, it is because Puss in Boots is, uh, at least in the Shrek movies, he's a marmalade too. (laughs) See? That it all comes together. It all comes together. (laughs) <laughs> um, so back at the barn, Quill takes the cats out to the gazebo for fresh air and exercise while they are startled by a small group of strange birds, which turn out to be wild turkeys, oh. thought to be extinct in Moose County, according to Thornton Haggis. Uh, later, Quill reveals in a letter to himself, um, I can't <laughs> quite tell if he's writing a letter to himself or he's writing in his journal at this point. Um, why the, the reason that he wants someone to look into some information in Milwaukee is because he's looking for Coco's history, mm. trying to find his breeder. And uh, George uh, Bonifield Mount Clemens III mentioned getting him from a breeder <laughs> there and that his sister lived there as well. So Quill is, of course, wondering if any of this is true. And things it can't hurt to have someone do, uh, do some actual research of the area. This is one of the very few references to, uh, to GBM3 uh, since the since the very early parts of the series, most of the time that that first book totally gets ignored. Hmm. Um, we we obviously hear about Iris Cobb, who joined the cast in The Cat Who Turned On and Off. Sure. Um, we hear a little bit about, you know, we get a little bit about Yum Yum's history um, from The Cat Who Ate Danish Modern. But those that first book generally gets totally ignored. Hmm. Um, so this is the first that we've that we've heard about it. 20 plus 25 books. <laughs> However later. many uh, books were. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so now with the smallest amount of fuss yet, and I figured out why this is, as I'm reading this, I thought Quo was moving himself and the Siamese out to the cabin for a long period of time. Um, the smallest amount of fuss, Quo gets the cats out to the cabin, despite the finding of a dead body the week before. Apparently sure. now he just has his regular cleaning, cleaning crew go through, prepare the cabin whenever he wants to use it, even if it's for a day. Um, no idea why he never thought of that before, um, after all of the drama we had from the Sand Giants Gnome and the Glinko Network. Um, but as he's settling in at the cabin for, you know, his weekend or whatever he's doing down there, um, he sees a man and a woman walking along the beach stop and they point to the cabin and Coco growls at them. Oh, Mm. Mm. Later, Interesting. He, later, then, he picks up Polly for dinner at Arch and Mildred's cabin, a little ways up the beach. They discuss Lish, whom Mildred, uh, Lisa, and Lyle Compton all remember from when she was in school. Apparently, she suggested lotteries as a way to raise money and or horrify more wealthy groups into covering costs. 
Um, and she was known for likely skimming a little off the top of the money raised when she did these. Hmm. Um, also turns out that her grandmother is planning to move to our favoritely named Itty Estates, which is where <laughs> the retirement community is. Yes. And the group wonders what will become of her grandmother's fam- of the grandmother's fabulous mansion, which is known locally as Little Mount Vernon. <laughs> Lisa hopes that it will be left to the town of Burr for a historical museum. Uh, and then Quill and Lyle take a walk on the beach for Lyle to smoke a cigar, and he tells Quill, after he asks, about the demise of wild turkeys. Apparently, farmers thought they were pests hmm. and likely poisoned them en masse, um, although nothing was ever technically proved. Interesting. So, the next day, Qu- Polly informs Quill that Benson Hedges, or Hodges, pretty sure it's Hodges because Benson Hedges is a cigarette brand, um, and Quill <laughs> just has a mental block about this name. It's kind of funny. Um the architect for the bookstore, anyway, will be arriving, and he wants to see both Quill's barn and the Boulder Inn, both of which he considers architecturally impossible. <laughs> um, Quill then tells Polly that if her interest in Benson is personal, he can take the airport limo, and Polly agrees, saying the builders will drop him at the barn when they're done. Um, and then they'll all go to dinner at the Boulder Inn, because, wow, this is a new low of terrible relationship, even for these two. Yes, well, I guess they're pulling out all the stops if there's only a few books left. Yeah. Jeez. It's like, we get it. They are not a good couple. We've known that since the very beginning. We don't, yeah. But, ha- but you haven't been able to write anybody else who's as interesting as Polly. Um, and for the most part, she has been interesting. Um, fortunately, things then get interesting again. And the dinner <laughs> for these three is canceled, although Quill insists that he and Polly still have dinner. Um, and Quill heads up to Burr to meet with Lish and composes a limerick in her honor based on Gary Pratt's description of her. Oh, Lord. Because limericks are a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is, there once was a lady named Lish, who was said to be cold as a fish, but with sauce tartare and some black caviar, she turned out to be quite a dish. Um, The actual Lish, however, is not Not a a dish. dish. (laughs) She is calculating, only interested in the gig of the phase. It's a very Jean Shallot moment of you, I'm sorry, of your your (laughs) Don't panic, Rome. (laughs) I loved it. Anyway, so Lish is... Only interested in Quill's Milwaukee assignment to look into the Mount Clemens family and any breeders who might have sired Coco because Quill's offering to pay. <laughs> uh, Gary manages to guilt her into doing the show for free, but thinks that they should have a backup in case she doesn't show and suggests his wife, Maxine, who owns the local marina. Yes. They married a couple books ago. Why he didn't suggest Maxine in the first place, I do not know. Um, afterward, Benson... Well, maybe she was thinking about a name for this bookshop, too. I guess so. Um, <laughs> afterwards, uh, Benson Hodges arrives at the barn and Quill gaffs by calling him Mr. Hedges. And his comment about the barn is, quote-unquote, interesting. <laughs> Quill tape records the conversation because no one will believe that he literally had a one-word conversation with the guy. And that's almost all he says. Just interesting. It, he said, he looks around the barn, apparently he's totally silent, and goes, interesting. And then, I need to leave soon. <laughs> and it's, whoa. Thank you, Mod Pie. Jeez. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> and not as kind and warm. Um, Polly at, at dinner, Polly teases Quill about his block, his block about Hodge's name because he calls him Hedges at dinner as well. But again, cigarette brand that he's probably very used to hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the evening, however, is soured when news arrives that a shuttle flight crashed in Wisconsin. Oh, God. Uh, no major injuries because it was forced landing, but it's still disturbing. It never comes up again, which is a little frustrating. But they just mention it they just mention in passing. In passion, passing that there's, there's been a shuttle accident. Okay. Why? The combination. The, the, yes. Anyway, 
Uh, next day. <laughs> a collective why from everybody. A collective why from everybody. So next day, Quill stops by our beloved Scottish bakery to learn a little bit about <laughs> marmalade and comes home to Coco jumping on and off the counter because there's a message on the answering machine. It's from Another Lish. Side of the Times. Yes. It's from Lish, who's on her way to Milwaukee. Quill is, Coco is not a fan of her voice or her, and Quill isn't <laughs> sure why yet. Not a fan of the voice or the rest of her, really. Or the rest of her, really. Um, so Quill, Quill ignores this and sets to work on the big storm, calls Polly for music recommendations. She recommends a piece that they used for uh, for the big burning, claiming no one will remember it, but obviously Quill does, so somebody else is going to remember that, too. Um, <laughs> and then mentions that Hodge's secretary reports that he described his trip to Moose County, County as, wait for it, interesting. <laughs> that's it in a word and I think that's the last we hear of Benson Hedges Hodges now I'm doing it <laughs> okay there's a play that I did with dear friend of ours named uh, JVB where there was a character whose name was Mrs. Hedges and his character kept referring to as Hodges so kept saying Hedges. This is no time for Hedges, Hodges. We need to focus here. So this is all I'm hearing right now. Hedges, <laughs> no, Hodges is Joe, is Joe. But this is all we see of him. I think so. That's. Um, it seemed like the, there seemed like to be potential of this this eccentric architect and and Polly's romance was said. Um, but no, oh, I think I think that's pretty much we all we get of of Hodges the architect. Oh, um, Hedges, Hodges. We hardly knew you exactly. So Quill has also been hearing reports of a nice young woman who's been working for Bushy. Hmm. And in his nosiness, he calls the studio and gets Janice, Thelma Thackeray's former assistant for the cat who brought down the house. <laughs> we love Janice. Janet is great. Janice. Janice, sorry. Yes. Turns out that Quill's matchmaking has paid off because she and Bushy are getting married. And this is the best news of this entire that, book. That happened quick. And then give or take, they, there's a few months between them. But still. Um, but still, it's that's lovely. wonderful news. It, it is. Quill jokes that he'll pick up the check for the small wedding dinner. It's going to be a civil ceremony, just a few friend, friends, as a gift to the man who tried to drown him. Because he will never forget Three Tree Island from the cat who went underground. <laughs> um, he also asks if Bushy now has the care and feeding of Thelma's five parrots. And learns that they will actually be living in Thelma's Pleasant Street house after the wedding. Oh. So then Quill has a brainwave. This is a really lovely thing. He pays for a plane ticket for Simmons, our beloved uh, former uh, former cop from California, mm-hmm. to come out as a wedding surprise. Um, Janice, he treats as an honorary niece. It's a very sweet relationship. Um, and then Quill also mentions that he might want some insight from Simmons about the mystery body found on his property and what might be going on. Very nice multitasking Quill. Um, we then have our very first rehearsal of the Great Storm of 1913, and <laughs> Lish is still in Milwaukee. Hmm. Um, she claims she's on the trail of some hot news. Quill heads up to Burr anyway to talk to Gary Pratt on the advice of his wife, uh, because it seems that Lish has been bragging about taking over her grandmother's house and turning it into a B&B with condos on the back of the property. Huh. Uh, the thought of this property going commercial makes him a little sick and is making everybody else a little sick. Uh, and that contradicts his uh, in- uh, Gary's original statement about Lish. Gary originally said that, you know, he that she was smart and he had no issues with her in school. But now he's saying that he never liked her in school because she was stuck up with a permit for underage driving and so much for the heart condition. That, uh, right. The, what happened to the palpitations? Yeah. His logic is that he recommended her to show Quill that Burr wasn't full of Hicks. Quill has lived here for almost 10 years. He knows it's not full of Hicks. Why do you feel the need to impress this man who you've been serving burgers to for 10 years? He what? knows you. He, You're regular at this point. He's a regular at this point. Yeah. You know him. You don't need to. You don't need to pull the scrap. You just be you, dude. Absolutely. 
And it would have been so much easier if Maxine had just done it. Um, <laughs> so after this, Quill takes the cats back to the beach house uh, to do some thinking over the canceled rehearsal. And he happens to see the Comptons walking up and down the beach. Uh, they chat about Lish. And they support Gary's worry that she'll sell Little Mount Vernon to the developers as soon as the estate is out of probate. Um, and they don't think Quill will have much luck interviewing Lish's grandmother, but Quill has an in. Uh, Mrs. Carroll is the descendant of three generations of bird doctors who have at least two stories featured in his book. Ah. So he sends a copy of his book with his compliments and unlisted phone number. And <laughs> unsurprisingly, he gets the interview. The sure. man knows how to talk to the octogenarians and nonagenarians of, of Moose County. Well, and they seem to love him too. So. They do, they do. And this is a really sweet scene. Edith Carroll tells the story of meeting her husband when she studied ballet in Lockmaster and claims that he, her husband was a, was a podiatrist, fell in love with her teeny tiny feet. And he started bringing her tiny porcelain shoes as they dated, married, and had went through their life. Um, this confirms her love for her house, her antiques. And so she's very receptive when Quill suggests the idea of leaving her house to the county as a memorial to her physician forebearers instead of to her granddaughter. Oh, very smart, um, Quill. Very, very smart. Because Edith, of course, is also convinced that Lish will sell the house to the highest bidder, and she really doesn't want that to happen. Apparently, Lish and Lush have been staying at the house now that Edith has moved to Itty Bitty Wassy Estates, and Lish uh, and and uh, Edith stopped by and was appalled at the condition of the house. Garbage in the sink, dirty clothes in the oriental rugs, food mm. containers on the mahogany dining tables. Quill gets sneaky at this point. And because Lish and Lush are out of town, he suggests that she not only change her will to leave the house to the county, but that she get the locks changed and hire a caretaker oh, 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 so that they are completely oh, oh, oh. shut out. Oh, wow. That, um, that is good. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, oh. Now, he, he doesn't mention that he hopes the Carroll Museum fares better than the planned Klingenshoen Museum, which was, of course, destroyed in the fire in, back in the Cat Who Played Post right, Office. Right, right, right. So hopefully this one will do a little bit better, and maybe they'll get somebody a little bit more charming to run it than whoever's running the Goodwinter Farm Museum these days who is charging people to take their grandparents' egg beaters out of storage, um, <laughs> according to their catalogs. It's a little strange. Uh, just um, a tiny bit. <laughs> anyway, so since Lish flaked, Maxine Pratt will take over sound for the show. Uh, Quill heads to Burr for an actual rehearsal, and Maxine is on top of things. She, I mean, it, the woman's been running the, the marina in Burr for, you know, half her life. She knows how to do She things. knows how to maintain a schedule and how exactly. to prioritize. She's memorized her welcome speech. She compliments Quill on his organization. Um, and afterwards, after a great rehearsal, Quill gets a call from Bart to confirm that he didn't Mac that it, he, it, Bart calls Quill, honestly, to confirm, did you make all these suggestions to Mrs. Carroll? Because her estate is, of course, handled through their office. And they and he wants to confirm that all of these changes that she wants made to her will immediately were actually, you know, Quill's suggestion. Um, there's another problem because coming up is a holiday weekend and everything is booked. So if Lish and Lush come back unannounced, they're going to be locked out with nowhere to go, Ooh. which could be really bad considering um, Lish has tendency to be really, really nasty. Um, now, in the middle of this conversation, Coco starts howling in the gazebo. Uh -oh. So now Quill knows something isn't right. Um, and a visit from Brody confirms that there's been a copycat of the very first murder, this time in northern Michigan. Uh-oh. Obviously, they're connected. Threw me a bit of, for a bit of a loop trying to, con uh, for a bit of a loop concerning the location of Moose County, which I know is, it's supposed to be based on Bad Axe, Michigan, um, which I thought was on the, was on the Upper Peninsula, but it's actually just in, uh, in northern mainland. Um, so clearly I am not up on my local geographical parlance because both are technically considered northern, but those on the peninsula refer to the northern part of the mainland as northern. Who knows? 
Um, but they were just further through the peninsula as the peninsula. Is that yes, right? I think so. Okay. Um, any Michigan there? Any Michigan natives who want to who want to chime in on this, please <laughs> do. Um, I would love to. I would love to get some idea of what the heck is going on. All um, I know from watching Bruce Campbell interviews, because he's from just outside of Detroit, is whenever he points to where he is from, uh, he will use his hand. Yep. Because of course the mainland looks like a, th- a mitten. Yep. So there you, you go, know, Michigan. You know. There you go. That's all I know <laughs> about Michigan geography. <laughs> Moving on, it's almost time for Bushy and Janice's wedding, Yay. and Simmons is on his way. Simmons is also bringing a notebook with stories from his time working security at Thelma's that he wants to gift to Janice, hoping to bring back some good memories. Because let's remember that Janice worked her way up to assistant chef before becoming Thelma's personal assistant. Uh, Janice Janice knows knows hard work and knows and and knows the rewards that you get from that, which is really nice. Um, after that, Quill arranges for flowers for the wedding, delivers a copy of Short and Tall Tales to Silas Dingwall, who contributed the story of the Dank Hollow, which, by the way, is also rumored to be the location of Indian Village. But now that it's not managed by XYZ, it's not quite as cursed anymore. And then he attends a lecture at the Hotel Booze, which confirms that the weird birds that he's been seeing around his gazebo are, in fact, wild turkeys, Mm. uh, who can have up to 15 babies at a time. I do not remember the term for a baby turkey, sorry. Um, Goblet. I think it's a pullet, but anyway. <laughs> I, I, it's not, I said <laughs> it should it, be a goblet. It should be a goblet. I, I said that and I didn't even realize it was also the name of a cup. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, so this is the kind of understory that, yes, Quill has Quill has turkeys in his backyard. And it's 15, really cool. 15? 15 babies at once. Wow. Um, after this, Quill has a very successful dress rehearsal with Maxine, who, on her own uh, initiative, dresses in periodish clothing and even had her hairdresser do a period wig for her, which oh. is awesome. Way to take initiative, Maxine. We love you. Um, but afterwards, Gary Pratt tells him that Lish and Lush are on their way back after getting notice from the attorneys that they will not be allowed back into Little Mount Vernon. Um, and as noted before, it's a holiday weekend and there are no rooms to be had. Uh, it doesn't specify what holiday it is, does it? I think it. it's Memorial Day. Okay. Um, I don't remember. Uh, and before we begin, a uh, before we continue, before we begin, yes, before we begin, half hour into this synopsis, but <laughs> a, a baby turkey is called a polt. A polt. A polt. Polt. <laughs> Lovely. Anyway, so back to there being no room at the inn, literally. Um, <laughs> and this is... This, these, in a manger. These two are far from Mary and Joseph. Thankfully not pregnant. Um, <laughs> Lish calls Gary and says, well, can I just camp in my car in the hotel parking lot? Well, apparently most, obviously most hotel licenses don't cover people camping in their cars. Um, and... This is starting to become concerning to Gary, and he thinks he should notify the authorities in case she decides to get destructive in her anger at losing the house. And Quill agrees. <laughs> wow. Um, this is not a uh, this is not a good sign. Um, next up, Quill visits Susan Exbridge at her antique shop to inquire about porcelain shoes as a thank you for his interview with Edith. Uh, fortunately, Susan knows better uh, because she helped Edith value her collection, and the shoes are are and were a thing between Edith and her late husband. Uh, and she has told Susan she does not want it anymore. So Susan warns Quill away from that as a gift. Um, even noting that Edith keeps the very last one that her husband gave her before his death on her bedside table. It's the precious one. Wow. Um, 
Then it's Scottish night as part of Burr's birthday celebration and Polly and Quilt, <laughs> of course, turn out in their best. Of course. And they discuss plans for the dedication of the Carroll Museum and Quill takes Polly home faster than usual uh, because he has a bad feeling that turns out to be very correct when he gets home to find Lish and Lush camped out in his gazebo. Oh, no. Drinking beer, eating takeout, and he tries to move them on, but Lish claims she has news from him from her research. So he lets them stay a little bit while she tells him because writing it down would have been too much trouble, apparently. Um, and he then it records. Has to be said face to face. Has to be said face to face, and then he records it on his tape recorder. <laughs> um, she confirms that there is no record of a Bonifield or a Mount Clemens family, which Quill always thought that uh, that GBM three made up the name. Uh, but she came up with a Monty Clemens, whose mother was a Bonnie Field, who raised Siamese after her husband brought back a, a breeding pair after the Vietnam War. Apparently, all of her customers claim their cats have ESP. Lish then demands a thousand dollars for her time, travel, various expenses, and wants oh. it in cash, refusing to give an address. Uh, Quill tells her he'll write a check to cash with instructions for Gary to cash it at the hotel booze. Chicago All Saints Hospital. There you go. <laughs> um, and then he finally kicks them off his property and sends them to a campsite. Quill knows his story, her story is pure fiction, and so do we as readers, be, but probably for very different reasons. Right. Um, the Vietnam War didn't end officially until 1975. Original Bush book was published in 1966. Uh, mm. Quill notes that Lish got Lish and Lush got spooked when he mentioned his guest room being occupied by a police investigator, which is Simmons, uh, which probably helped finally speed them on their way. And Coco was still growling at the mere mention of her name. Uh, after confirming that the check is okay to cash with Gary, uh, Quill heads to Burr early to watch the parade of 200 boats before his big show. It runs much along much the same lines of the Big Burning with interviews, advertisements, interspersed into stories of horror and bravery. And it ends the same way. No one who lived through this will ever forget it. <laughs> that being done, finally it's time for Bushy and Janice's wedding. <laughs> With only Roger and Sharon, Quill and Polly in attendance, plus the surprise of Simmons, it's a lovely intimate affair and a reminder that the three men are bonded for life after surviving that storm on Three Tree Island. <laughs> um, afterwards, Simmons and Quill go back to the barn. Coco has been pushing a particular book off the shelf and Quill is finally starting to pay attention. It's The Hunting of the Snark, which is a nonsense poem by Lewis Carroll. Hmm. Who also it? wrote Jabberwocky, correct? Who did write Jabberwocky, okay. correct? Um, but that's part of Alice in Wonderland. The Hunting of the Snark is a separate uh, is a separate book. That's right. Jabberwocky is part of Alice in Wonderland. Mm -hmm. oh, anyway, so we start to wonder Carol connection because, of course, Lish's last name is Carol. Um, because uh, uh, then Simmons uh, tells uh. a story from when he worked on the, uh, the police force in California about a scam which would claim to sell beautiful wild property for a fraction of its value only for the scammers to murder the victim after collecting the cash. Murder? This also tracks with Lish's father's arrest for land fraud. This isn't a scam. So, this is a killing spree. It is a killing spree, but it's with a scam. Jeez. It, it's, with, it, it's with a sprinkling of scam on top because they are getting money. <laughs> sprinkling of scam. That's, that's my favorite Tom Waits album. Nice. <laughs> anyway, we have a second performance of The Great Storm. Quill gets a call from Susan Exbridge asking him to come to Little Mount Vernon on an urgent matter. Um, Susan stayed with Edith the night before. Apparently, Lish showed up before the museum dedication demanding floor space to sleep on. Uh, Lush is nowhere to be found at this point so that she can, you know, have a place to sleep in a shower. Sure. Um, Lish, of course, refuses to go to the dedication because she doesn't want to see her inheritance be given away to this dump of a town. Um, oh. Edith then points out that uh, you've got two trust funds and several other properties, so this one really shouldn't matter that much. Mm -hmm. And then Lish turns the knife because she claims that her grandfather abused her while she was in high school, which is why she left right away. So she deserves the property. Susan is horrified. Edith is ashen. They go to the dedication anyway because they have to get out of that house. 
Um, and Quill then calls to have Quill stop by to cheer Edith up because he does, which he does, of course, with great aplomb, even wearing his grumpy rehearsal clothes, whatever that means. <laughs> uh, he's wearing a sweatshirt and jeans. Um, which again, they, ha- they these people have separate clothes for rehearsal for course, when they do plays, which course. still is. <laughs> yes. So even after, but then he drives Edith back to Itabiwasi Restates, where we find out that Lish has made off of the collection of porcelain shoes, except oh. the bedside one. That's the only one she left behind. And she left a few smashed on the floor for good measure. Um, Edith faints. She's taken away in an ambulance. Fortunately, Edith kept a ledger of the shoe shoe collection along with working with Susan, who had it valued. So the police have a good idea of its value as they try to catch Lish, who is now on the run. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not to be. Because WPKX reports a fatal head-on collision on the Bixby Highway when a woman crossed the yellow line and plowed into an oncoming airport bus. Car had out-of-state tags. Gary Pratt calls to confirm that the driver was Lish. Uh. Quill wisely calls Susan to let her know and suggests that the doctor, whoever the doctor is, withhold the news until Edith is feeling better. Um, Turns out that doesn't hurt because Dr. McKenzie is a widower and Edith thinks he's charming. I'm going to point out once again, Moose County is widow heaven. (laughs) So Edith and and Dr. McKenzie are headed for holy matrimony. She's no longer being, she's no longer being harassed by her horrible, horrible granddaughter. Um, And then the story takes an even stranger turn because... Who should appear at the barn but Lush? Oh. Who hiked all the way from the campsite 10 miles away because Lish is gone. He has nowhere else to go. Quill gets him talking. Turns out that he's not only Lish's driver, but her shooter as well. Oh. And he shows Quill the gun that he's been using. He claims to have only done it twice. Once on a beach at Quill's cabin and once up north. The copycat they did in northern Michigan. Um, after Lish got mad at Edith, he thought she'd want another shooting, but apparently not. Um, Quill then has to tell him that Lish is dead. The car is total. He has nothing else left. Um, he's the, Lush is more upset about the car, and Quill thinks that he's quote-unquote messed up on drugs, which is, would be fair. Um, and True. Quill tells him to sit tight. He's going to call his lawyer. We're going to get everything settled out. Um, but while he's on the phone with Brody, uh, he hears a shot in the gazebo and panics, thinking that the cats have been shot because they're out there trying to calm right. the guy down. And unfortunately, no, it's just poor dopey Lush. Uh. They recover the shoes because they were well-packed into a suitcase. Um, the great storm is a hit. Polly shows pictures of Dundee like a proud grandmother, which, by the way, she doesn't do with her own cats, poor things. And <laughs> that is the end of the book. The curtain falls and wow. <laughs> Jeez. This. Wow. There are. I notice there's not that many thoughts that you have on this one. You There's some, but I think it's just because this is. This is such a weird book. This doesn't feel like it's a complete story. There's no. It feels like there are three three stories running through this that that got twisted around, and it's like, oh, we have to turn them into one book. So here's what we did. It's it's like a made yeah. It's a made for TV. It feels like it's like a, I'm trying to remember the, but there was made like in the 90s they would have made for TV movies uh-huh. that they would then try to awkwardly chop up into episodes. Or maybe the other way around where yeah. it becomes a, a full-length movie or something. It just doesn't feel... Yeah, it feels like if this is maybe three se- three or four she- separate short stories, it might yeah. be better. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do have some thoughts about the, this, but they're mostly li- little side stories that were too funny or too interesting to ignore. Um, personal favorite. In, the, in our last book, uh, Quill missed a clue about Richard slash Dick. Um, this is the cat who brought down the house in case anyone's trying to keep track. Um, and because of this, he ends up writing about poor Richard's almanac, which led him to write cool Coco's almanac. Um, 
The stunt of Cool Coco's almanac has gotten way out of hand, forcing the something to post a notice that Cool Coco is on vacation indefinitely. He is tired of writing as Cool Coco. Fair enough. Um, now, the town of Burr was founded by Scots, and Lisa Compton has come up with a wonderful idea called Marmalade Madness to showcase the historic housekeeping manuals of some of the local families, which, of course, all contain different recipes for marmalades. Uh, samples and tastings would be held to raise funds for charity, and I am, however, very sad. There is no marmalade recipe included in this book or the cookbook. Really? Yes. No marmalade. That is disappointing. And then randomly in the last book, we had two recipes. Go figure. Um, <laughs> so speaking of the previous book, um, in the book that's set the previous summer, which was The Cat Who Went Up the Creek, Quill mentions his mother's birthday poem, which is Wadsworth, I Wander Lonely as a Cloud. And now everyone has one that fits their personality, including Archriker, um, which is the only one short enough that I can read for you, um, which is, I know two things about a horse, and one of them is rather coarse, by Anonymous. <laughs> Now, once again, Quill had daffodils sent to wherever he's celebrating his mother's birthday. And Mildred is very impressed that he's managed to get such giant bouquets without ribbons or filler or anything else. Apparently, it's because Quill called the Chicago florist and told them to send them straight to the restaurant with no frills because they were being used in a salad. Oh, definitely <laughs> salad. No, no, no. It's just because that's how he, that's the only way he could manage to get them to send just the daffodils. Oh, I Rather see. than trying to fill them with with greenery or baby's breath or anything else. Just, just the daffodils. Just to send the full daffodils. Okay. That But he tells them that it'll be used in the salad, which I think is kind of brilliant. Uh, um, we also have another side love letter to great teaching. Um, as Lyle, Lisa, and Mildred all appreciate Miss Agatha Burns, who was voted the favorite teacher by three generations of students, which is all the more remarkable because her subject was Latin. Oh, my. Yeah. Dead languages for the wind. <laughs> um, one thing that uh, that gets me a little bit concerned, because with regarding Polly, someone forgot that Polly got so stressed planning her house that she had a heart attack. And yet they let her plan the bookstore. So she spends this book obsessing over the psychological impact of store aisle width and the precise ratio of staff to customers. And then no one seems concerned. About no one this. seems concerned about this. Apparently, uh, what what does cause concern is that she's hired a former teacher from Lockmaster named Alden Wade to be her assistant. Assistant Quill is, of course, terribly jealous. Jeez. Um, but heart attack. Yeah, we can just let that go. It was just yeah, yeah. mild cardio infarction. Jeez. Ay, ay. Um, I, I mentioned hunting of the snark and um, there is Quill does manage to make a connection between the hunting of the snark and Lish and Lush's land fraud murders, but it's a big stretch yeah. because if you spell snark backwards, you get Kranz and Cranson is Lish's real last name, which she changed to Carol after her dad's arrest. And frankly, he would have been better off making the connection between Lewis and Lish Carol. Which, as a reader, is automatically what you do. You you don't try and do this backwards crap. No, um, trying to. It, it's no. it's a ridiculous stress. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and once again, I spoke far too soon on the no cutesy tie-ins with the titles of later books because um, it it must have been just a few in the middle because this one straight up says Coco thinks he can talk turkey. There's the title. <laughs> but um bum 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 bum. So, um, I mentioned briefly recipes. This book includes two recipes not included in the Cat Who Cookbook a Reuben sandwich, and the molasses ginger cookie recipe. <laughs> um, I, sh I complained about the lack of a molasses cookie you recipe did. attached I, you know, to I the cat who sang for the birds. I figured out why. 
They put the molasses cookie recipe with the cat who went underground and I missed it. They didn't want to repeat it and they didn't, they clearly did not want to try and do something more interesting. Okay. Uh, at some point, I will have to compare the two of these recipes. Uh, they're, they're ever so slightly different spice mixtures. Could be really fun. It could be interesting. It's, you know, I, I think it's similar to we had a pumpkin pie recipe that I really wanted to try because it came with maple syrup. Yes. Uh, not came with. It was made with maple syrup compared to the recipe that you know is tried and true. Mm -hmm. And while it was a fun experiment, eh, your tried and true is much better and knocks the socks off of this one. I have a feeling that your 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 own ginger cookies will do the exact same. Well, we'll have to see. I have no problem. I have no problem making a whole bunch of ginger cookies. The battle of the ginger cookies will commence soon. Excellent. All right. Finally, to the end. Ah, uh, yes. So, speaking of cats, because uh, we did mention them a couple times. We mentioned them a couple of times. They really didn't get much. They really didn't get much playtime. Other than what? What? Okay. One thing that's interesting with the cats, Coco was doing his death howls for the victims of land fraud. Not anybody actually connected. Uh, he You're right. He didn't howl about Lush killing himself in front of him. Um, there's. You know, it's it's all about these two random people that were lured uh, that were lured to their deaths um, after paying Lish a ridiculous amount of money. That's very odd. It was very strange. So speaking of which, and I see this is probably the lowest paw rating. I you've really given do one. think I, I I debated giving it lower, but I gave it two paws. Now, uh, what saved it from getting say one or one and a half? <sighs> one thing, <laughs> and that is the fact that at no point did Lillian Jackson Braun attempt to make Lish likable. And I appreciate that. Okay. Lish is not playing two-faced. She's not playing likable to some and horrible to others. She is just straight up unlikable, which makes her okay. more interesting. And I wish I could have found out more about her. Uh, my biggest problem with this is that there's too much mishmash and not enough mystery. Again, plenty of drama, but no but no real mystery. Right. No, um, I, 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 I mean, agree. These, these random deaths that turn out to be Lish running a land fraud scheme, much like her father... Could have been much better connected. Um, but again, Lish is not made out to be anything other than the villain here. Mm. And at least we are not hiding behind the trope of, but she was such a nice girl. It starts <laughs> off that way, but then even even Gary Pratt, who's the only person who remotely called her nice and smart, uh, freely says, look, I really didn't like her at school. I just I <laughs> didn't want you to think we were hicks. He's been here for 10 years. He, he knows. knows exactly who you are. He, he likes exactly. who you are. Why would you try and change He's that? made you booze burgers. Yes. Uh, no, that's Quill. He's bought your burg booze burgers well, for Yes, years. but it's, it, regardless, you know what's good. You know. So yeah. there's no, you don't have to impress anybody. Yeah. Um, and mm. this was, I think, a missed opportunity to really meet and uh, enjoy the people of Burr, where we really haven't spent a lot of time except with Gary Pratt. No, we haven't. You're um, right. But the story just wasn't compelling. And the great storm, it, it's almost... It, it's it's beat for beat, the big burning. Mm. Um, and without Quill's obsession with the research, because, of course, Thornton did the research. Here. Right. So there doesn't seem to be the same gravity attached to the, to the material. And it was basically 15 pages that I kind of went, am I done? Oh, there's the end. Okay. Oh, wow. I didn't even bother to read it. it, it Jeez. It, it, it just, everything is like, oh, there's the ad. There's the break. There's the music break. Uh, yeah, there's the end. Okay. We're done. I mean, I get that we're kind of in the twilight of the books, and the series only has a couple more left, but still, it's... Uh. And let's also remember that Lillian Jackson Braun was getting up in years. Um, no, very true. It's with that, so, yeah. You know, born in 1913, so she's uh, she's in her 90s. Mm -hmm. um, not a lot of novelists make it that far. 
Um, but she's still writing something that's fairly cohesive. I mean, at least we got to the end. And we don't know also, too, of her being such a private person, if mm. this could have been the publisher wanted to push this out yes. or something else. Because or maybe she's this been was attempting, in, what, what, what would it be like to have a ghostwriter? Could I get something to work exactly. with my assistants? Let me give a rough outline. Let's see if we can't have someone else's come yeah. in and do it. So, yeah, there could be plenty of other things at work. And mm-hmm. again, just because she is such a private person and no longer with us, we will probably never we know. We will never know. Fascinating. So, Any other final thoughts that. on this one? This goes on my list of um, books you can skip. Honestly, there's mm. there's nothing important in here. No, uh, it it doesn't it doesn't uh, make sense. It, it doesn't contribute to the uh, it, it doesn't contribute to the storyline. It doesn't contribute to things you need to know. Um, yeah, it's just it, it's just a throwaway. It mm, is a shame. On that note, thank you very much for listening to the Cat Who Did a Podcast, and join us next time for the Cat who went bananas are there bananas there are so many bananas (laughs) good making up for the title for the cutesy titles in the few last yes indeed well i'm susan romsdorf terry and i'm luke romsdorf terry and until next time happy sleuthing and stay nosy my friends 